Amen. Well, let's take our Bibles. Let's open to Luke chapter 6 this morning. We're going to finish the chapter. Luke chapter 6, verse 46. As you're turning there, Hurricane Ian, I've been watching this all week long. Many of you have as well. You've been tracking this. Uh, I watched the news last night. They said that the death uh, rate has risen to 77 people. And uh, that was heartbreaking to see that last night. I have to imagine what that's like uh, throughout that. I, I saw things that, that are unique. As we kind of look on, there was all sorts of devastation in Cuba. Uh, people were doing anything they could to keep the roof on their house. I saw one guy ratchet strap his roof to his, uh, to his lawn, and I guess he did some hurricane anchors there. Uh, and then I noticed that many of the bigger buildings, many of those initial buildings that had been built to last, they were still there. It was uh, many of the, the other buildings, many of the temporary buildings that were removed and displaced. And, and you start looking at that and you start looking out at all of the different buildings. How come one house makes it and one house doesn't make it? That's a good question. Why is it that one building make it, makes it, one structure makes it, and the other is, is gone? It's, it's collapsed. It's disappeared. It's missing walls. Uh, what happened? What's the, what's the difference? Well, I like to put this uh, picture up from Texas. There was a hurricane that came into Texas. This is a Google Maps image of it. Forgive me, it's a little blurry. But uh, here's a neighborhood right along the coast, and all the houses are there one day. Hurricane comes through, wipes them all off of the map except for a few. And if you zoom in on that hurricane, there was one house that looked like it really hadn't been touched at all. What's the story with that thing? I mean, all the other places, all the other coastal residents in, in these neighborhoods, they're gone. But why is this house here? Well, that, that builder wasn't, wasn't hoping that the storm would never come and building hoping that the storm would never come. That builder was knowing that the storm would eventually come, and he built expecting the storm. You see the difference? What did he do? He drilled down deep deep into the foundation and put steel pylons and concrete and weighed, and he built it to last. And this house, there's actually a documentary out there on this house and this story of this house, but this house was built to last. And if I'm using that as a metaphor for my life and your life, that's the question we have before us today. Are you built to last? Have you built your foundation deep into God's Word, deep into obedience to the Word of God, so that when the turbulent times, so that when the stormy days come to your life, you're ready and you will outlast the storm? That's the question for us all. You see, the truth is storms are coming. The problem is we're not ready for those storms. The problem is none of us are completely ready for the storms, and there will be many storms throughout your life. There will be financial storms. There will be medical storms. There will be relational storms. There will be emotional storms that will threaten your life. Now, the good news is God has given us His Word. God has given us instructions on how to build our life. The bad news is we often treat God's Word as optional. Good advice but it's optional. And that's the problem that we're faced with. We, spiritually, many of you, your plan is to hope that the storm won't come rather than preparing for the storm that will inevitably come. 
Now, just last week, we looked at a very important passage, and, and the image that we ended this sermon on the plains with is the image of a tree that bears fruit. Like, and it was this point, I want you to be sure that you're born again. And so Jesus ends His long sermon. He gives them a bunch of commands, things to do, and then He ends like a good preacher with a good couple of illustrations. He gives the illustration of the tree and the fruit. You've got to bear fruit. That's one of the assurances of your life that you're actually born again. There's a change. No change, something strange, right? There's change to your life. There's growth to your life. And now he ends with a second illustration as if that one wasn't enough. He ends with another illustration. And this illustration is all about the house built on the rock. Don't you love this story? Man, as a kid, I loved this story. We even sang a little kid's song to this story. How many of you remember that? Oh, yeah. Uh, there's, there's, this, there's this wise man, and then there's this foolish man, and the difference is where they're building and how they're building. Now, we saw last week that we tend to separate the offices of Jesus. That's a big no-no. Last week, we, we said that we tend to separate the lordship of Jesus from His office of Savior. And there's many people out there today who will say, well, I'll take Jesus as my, as my Savior, but I don't want to take Him as my Lord. Or maybe it will be the secondary thing in my life. And we're looking at Scripture. Scripture says, no, you can't do that. To take Jesus, you have to take the whole Jesus. He must be Savior and Lord. You must take all that He is. You must take both offices to separate who he is is wrong. It's unbiblical. In fact, we love quoting Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. What a great passage. It shows our salvation. It shows the truth of our salvation that we're not saved by our deeds and by our works. Salvation is of grace. You're saved by grace through faith. It's for, by grace you've been saved through faith. And this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works. That can't be any clearer. You cannot work your way to heaven. In fact, last week we said that if works are your ladder to heaven, you'll be left standing in hell, right? Works cannot get you to heaven. In fact, last week we talked about two terms. You might, I just want these terms solid in all of your minds. There's two terms. There's imputed righteousness and there's infused righteousness. You might write those two terms down. There are some religions that's, that believe in infused righteousness. I just get to, given, get to heaven by God's grace and my good deeds, and I earn my way to heaven. I infuse my life with grace. I infuse my life with deeds, and that earns salvation. That is not the gospel. That is not the truth of Scripture. The truth of Scripture is imputed righteousness. It is that the very moment that you believe, all the righteousness that you needed is credited like a bank account. It is put into your account, and it's done by grace through faith. That's imputed righteousness. We love those verses, but we often fail to go on to the next verse, verse 10. Verse 10 says, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We're saved by grace through faith, but we're saved unto works, unto a new practice, a new lordship. Over in John 3.16, we love John 3. John 3.16, most famous verse in the whole Bible. It's John 3.36 that we often skip. He who believes the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. 
there's a difference in practice. You see, repentance and lordship, very much part of the gospel. What's the point? Well, for many people, we tend to see obedience to the commands of the Lord as optional. And today we come to the Word of God and we see that if we're going to be stable in this life, if we're going to build a life that lasts, like that house, if we're going to last through the storms of life, we have to build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, His Lordship, His command. We have to obey His words. And that's what this passage is all about. We have to build obedient lives. In effect, there's a storm warning. There's a storm warning for all of us, in effect, The storms will routinely sweep through the landscape of your life, but Jesus is showing us in this passage how to be strong. In Luke 6, 46, He shows us that building obedient lives is not optional. Now, I do want to point out before we jump into this passage, this section of Scripture in Luke is a little bit different than Matthew's version. That's what leads many people to say these are two sermon experiences. One is the Sermon on the Mount. One has been called the Sermon on the Plains. These are two different sermons, just a little bit different, or they're the the same sermon recounted to different degrees of detail. I, I don't fully know which is the right answer. I'm treating it as a separate sermon altogether. But I think Matthew gives us a little bit more detail Matthew's account is about two men and where to build, whether you're building on the sand or on the rock. Luke's account is about how to build, and we're going to see that today, how we need to build our spiritual house, a house built to last. So would you take your copy of God's Word? Let's stand together as we do every week. Luke 6, verse 46 through the end of the chapter. We'll finish today. It says this, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built." But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. All of us are building something. All of us are planning something. I think it was Mike Tyson who said, everybody's got a plan until you get punched in the mouth. Your plan will be tested. Your plan will be, will be tested, whatever you're building with, and it will be shown to be strong and stable for your life. And what I want to help you do today is I'm showing you a life that is built on the Word of God that will endure the strongest storms of life. This is God's Word. Let's receive it as inspired Scriptures, authoritative for each of our life. You may be seated. Today, I want to give you three ways to build your house, three ways to build your life. The storm is coming. Your storm is coming, whether it be a car accident, whether it be an injury, whether it be financial trouble, whether it be emotional trouble, whether it be relational trouble, your storm is coming. How do we build secure lives in Christ? Number one, if you're taking notes, number one, you have to end casual lordship. 
You have to end casual lordship. I spoke to a man right after first service, and he gave the testimony. He said, he said, my life, when I first was starting out, I treated Christianity as this buffet. I'll take this, and I'll leave that. I'll take this, and I'll leave that. And I said, man, I wish I would have talked to you before first service. That's such a great image. And that's how so many people live their lives. It's this pick and choose what they will take. It's like, it's like a box of Legos, and they have their own instructions. I'm not going to follow the Lord's plans. I'll, ta- I'll follow my plans. Notice that's what we see in this first verse of our passage. Jesus is, is not frustrated with the title that people give him. In fact, he doesn't say, don't call me that. He's not frustrated. He's not upset about the title. The title means something equivalent of boss. It's the right title. You should call me that. That's what, that's what Jesus, he's not upset about the title. It's true, it's accurate, it's orthodox. He is the Lord. In Romans 10, 13, whoever calls upon the name of the what? The Lord. The Lord. That's the person that will be saved. That's who he is. He is the Lord. The problem is that it's an empty title. The problem is how they view that title. To these people, it's casual, it's cavalier, it's empty, it's it's void. It's missing something. In fact, this is a language uh, device. It's a repetition device. And what this device is meant to do is it's meant to convey uh, warmth and closeness. In fact, we see this device used throughout the Old Testament. God spoke to Abraham over in Genesis 22, and when God spoke to Abraham, He used the same device. Abraham, Abraham, two times in a row. Same thing, from the burning bush to Moses. Moses Moses, when he called Samuel, you know, remember in the night Samuel is in his bed, he hears the voice of God calling, Samuel, Samuel. Whenever David, when his son Absalom died, tough situation. No parent ever wants to lose a child. He cried, he wept bitterly, and the words that he said, Absalom, Absalom. Same device that Jesus uses in the New Testament. Remember, Jesus calls Martha, Martha, Martha. And then he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you kill the prophets. Oh, I long to gather you to myself like a hen gathers her chicks. And then he said it from the cross, my God, my God. That's a device. What kind of device? What is this being used for? What is this Lord, Lord being used for? Well, it's, it's supposed to signify closeness. The problem is there is no closeness there. There is no intimacy there. There's no heartbeat there. There's no substance. And that's what it is for a lot of people. It's all form, no substance. That is the cultural Christianity environment of Memphis and the South and Tennessee and the United States of America and the whole world. True to form, lacking substance. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And here's the follow-up, and not do what I tell you. It is profession without practice. They own the eternal language of the eternal God, but they lack eternal life. They'd say, I'm pro-Jesus. I'm all for Jesus. I just don't want Him as my boss. I just don't want to do what He says. I want to go where I want to go. I want to do what I want to do. I want to love who I want to love. I want to forgive who I choose to forgive. I want to be the boss. And that is the attitude for a lot of people. In fact, I I love this 
this quote here by Conrad Grebel. No, everybody hopes to be saved by a superficial faith, without the fruits of faith, without the baptism of trial and tribulation, without love or hope, and without truly Christian practice. That's the world that we exist in. It's a world just like back then. This thing that Jesus is describing is the day that we exist in as well. It is a world that wants the the look, the feel, but they don't want the lordship commitment, and that's the problem. You know, it reminds me of how I, how I kind of consider the, the stewardess on an airplane. You know how they go through How many of you have flown in the past two years? How many of you have gone through that process where the person stands up at the front and they, they buckle and they show you how to use a buckle? I find that so demeaning, don't you? And like, like I, 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 I completely tune them out. I'm usually doing something on my phone, if I'm honest, and, and you are too, right? Somebody say Amen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you, pagans. Thank you very much. I appreciate you. You're just like me. Um, I, I just kind of tune them out. And, and, and that exactly is how, that is how so many people treat Jesus. They appreciate Him culturally. They'd, they'd like to run to Him when there's a problem. And I, I, I would like to know how to use and inflate the vest underneath my seat or how to use my seat as a flotation device if there's a problem. But honestly, unless there's a problem, I don't care. They treat Jesus like the, um, the hot dog guy at the baseball game. He's nice for the environment. He adds to the experience. But mostly, I'm not interested in what he thinks about the game or his contributions to the game. For many people, that's how Jesus Christ is considered. He's, he's the Lord, but He's not their Lord. Jesus gives us this warning in this passage, don't be deceived by an empty profession. In fact, if you look at Matthew's version, I'm blown away. In Matthew's version, we see what is perhaps the scariest verse in the Bible. If you want to scare some people on Halloween, put this on your door. This is a scary, scary verse. It says this, on that day, many people will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. This passage takes it even to a greater degree. It's not included in Luke's version, but it is in Matthew's. And what this is saying is that these people not only have the language of lordship, but they also have the activity of lordship to some degree. There will be some people who even have the activity. I mean, they serve in the church in positions, maybe some pastors, maybe some deacons, maybe they they served in the soup kitchen. They have some activity in their life, but the Lord, listen to me, the Lord sees the motive of the heart. He sees down to the inner man if it's real or if it's empty religion. That's what this is saying. So each of us have to examine ourselves. Do we have casual lordship? Am I seeing obedience as optional? You know, I'm going to a counseling conference tomorrow. Excited about that. Uh, We had some friends in first service that were a part of that. Uh, Dr. Andrew Rogers was in the room, and there's several going to be at that. It's a national conference of uh, of over 2,000 counselors uh, up at Bellevue, and uh, excited to go be a part of that. 
The topic of lordship, what we're talking about here today is massive for the biblical counseling movement. It's massive. It's absolutely essential. In fact, most of my counseling is bringing people in line with God's Word and teaching them to interact with Him as their, their Lord. In fact, if you ever come in for counseling, we have a bunch of pastors, all of us do counseling to some degree or another, but if you ever come into counseling, most biblical counseling sessions have about three movements in them. Are you ready? Uh, movement number one is where you come and you tell us what's the problem. One of us, one of the pastors will look at you and say, okay, what's the problem? And you will tell us, and then we will say, well, what's the Bible say about that? We open God's Word, we read it, and then the third movement in biblical counseling is, are you going to obey your heart desires, or are you going to come under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and follow His Word? That's most of counseling. Now, which one of those three movements do you think is the hardest one? What do you think? One, two, or three? Shout it out. Yeah, it's the third one. It's absolutely the third movement. Uh, the first two are pretty easy. It's really easy for someone to tell you their problems. In fact, most of us are, are pretty keen, pretty quick to, to tell you the problems going on in our life. Most of us love reading and hearing the Word of God. It's the third one where we submit ourselves to the Lordship of the Word of God. That's where we tend to struggle. Let me give you a few illustrations. These are things that happen in the counseling office. It looks like this. couple comes in. Pastor Matt, we're dating. Awesome. That's great. Tell me about that. Not awesome. It's not going well. Okay. Tell me what's going on. Tell me what's, what's happening in your life. Well, and then there's a little hesitancy. We're unequally together. He doesn't believe the gospel. I do. Um, we're living together. Um, we're just not, it's not working. There's a lot of fighting. There's a lot of struggle. And they, they walk through the whole thing, and I take a lot of notes. We go to section two. Okay, let's see what the Bible says about that. Here's what the Bible says about those things. First of all, it, it uses this term to not be unequally yoked, all right? And then I have to spend about three to five minutes explaining that's not talking about an egg yolk, right? Some of you don't know that. And so, but if you know that, that's funny because… Because that's not an egg yolk. A yolk is a farming, a farming image. It's the bar that goes across the two animals as they, as they plow together. And what that's saying, what Paul is saying is you don't yoke together a, a donkey with an oxen or a different animal, a horse with an oxen. You don't, you don't put two different things of, uh, that are not the same together. You're going you're gonna to plow in a circle. You're going to plow with a zigzag line. It's just going to be frustrating for everybody don't do it. Don't do it. And that's what this says. It says not to do that. And then it also says not to cohabitate before you're married. Don't do that. It says all that. Okay, there's your problem. Now to the third section. What are you going to do? And this is the moment of truth. We get to that third section. Are you going to respond? And a lot of times I'll get a response like this. Hmm. Well, I need to go away and pray about it. I need to think about it. And I'm like, oh, that's not it. Don't trust your heart. Your heart is the, is the reason you're in this mess. It's, your heart is the most dangerous thing about you. In fact, let's put this verse up on the screen. You might write it down. Jeremiah 17, verse 9, write it down. The heart is deceitful. Everybody say deceitful. deceitful. Now let's go nice and loud. The heart is what? Deceitful. 
It's deceitful above all things. It is desperately sick. Say sick. sick. It is sick. Your heart is deceitful and sick. Most of our problems is because we follow our heart rather than the Word of God. Most of biblical counseling is teaching people to follow the Word of God rather than following their heart. The heart is the reason for all of our problems. A lot of our problems come from the heart. Leave that verse up on the screen for just a little bit. Another one, someone will come in and say, Pastor Matt, we're married. Uh, marriage marriage is, uh, is hard. And I'll say, well, tell me about that. There's the first section. Well, we're fighting all the time. I'm just angry all the time. We don't get along. Um, I don't want to do what he says to do. Um, and one of them will say, well, I'm just not in love. We're just not in love anymore. We have fallen out of love. And I will pause. I will make some notes. We'll go on to section two. Let's open in our Bibles. Let's go to Ephesians chapter four. We'll open to Ephesians four. We'll kind of review what does God say about relationships? What does God say about marriage? Well, in Ephesians 4, it says, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. That's a really bad word. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And I'll pause and I'll say, your relationship to one another is to be a picture of the gospel. All the tenderheartedness God has shown towards you, all the forgiving God has done towards you, all of the goodness you have experienced, the kindness you have experienced from God, that is to be reflected in your marriage. And then I'll, I'll say, now turn the page, go to chapter 5. We'll go to chapter 5, and we'll talk to the husband first. Oh, husband, you're called to love your wife as Christ loved the church. Like, you're supposed to exert love. I'm not asking you to feel love. I'm not asking you to be in love. What I'm asking you to do is go and, and engage in the activity of loving your wife. This is an activity, not an emotion. Emotions can follow the activity. Your heart can, can be led by the activity, but this is an action. Go do that. Then we'll say to the wife, you're to submit yourself to your husband unless he's asking you to engage in sin or something that dishonors God. And the response that I get back usually goes something like this. There'll be an awkward pause for a while, and the response will go something like this. You're asking me to change my personality? This is who God made me. I don't want to change who I am. I don't want to change, I don't want to change my personality. I can't do that. I, I just say things. I don't, I don't have a filter. I just say it like it is. And I'll say, yes, you do. You sure do. And there are people being hurt by that. You've got to let the Lord be the Lord of your mouth and your actions. And this is both for men and women. Another one, it's really easy until it's you getting counseling. Somebody say amen. It's really easy to say, yep, that's pretty clear until you're the one in the counseling chair. I go to my leadership mentor and, and I say, I'm getting lazy again. I'm not working out. I'm not running like I need to. I'm not… I'm eating way too many Chef Kyle cookies, if you know what I mean. It's like the, the invisible hand kind of lifts me off the, off the floor and carries me down to the kitchen. And before I know it, I've, 
I've had a 20-minute conversation with Kyle and eaten 20 cookies, and um, it's not good. And I tell him this, and he said, well, tell me what the Bible says about that. I said, I don't like the way this feels. I know where this is headed. Um, It says I need to take care of my temple. Okay, what are you going to do? I'll eat 19 cookies instead of 20. Um, It's hard. It's hard. I need to practice not have a mere profession of lordship. See, following the heart always leads to heartache. Following the heart always is what you hear at high school graduations, but it's a recipe for disaster. When I'm confronted by truth, I have to have Jesus' redemptive work happening in my life that compels me to come under the obedience to the Lordship of Christ. I have to treat it seriously. Jesus is my boss, but He's more than a boss, isn't He? In fact, I read John 10. I was talking to my wife just yesterday about John chapter 10. And in John 10, we see more than just the Lordship of Christ. We see He's the Good Shepherd. Oh, He's the kind of shepherd of the sheep that lays down His life for the sheep. Oh, no, this isn't, this isn't a mere a cold commander, an unfeeling Lord. No, friends, this is a shepherd of your soul. Oh, beloved, He loves you. He, he would lay down His life for you. It'd be like this. It would be like I'm out to dinner with my wife, Ashley, and all of a sudden we leave the restaurant with our, our family and we're surrounded by a gang and they pull guns and they, they direct them at us and they're about to execute my family. And then my boss also comes out of the restaurant. My boss, whom I have a, a relationship, a, a kind of a boss, relationship. I just do what he has to say, but, but I'm not sure I'm in love with him. I'm not sure that I really want to come under his, his lordship. You know what I mean? Like there's not that family relationship of love. And all of a sudden, he beats up the bad guys. And all of a sudden, he takes the bullet for me. And they run off. I call 911. They come. They stitch him up. They heal him. Months later, he's back at work. What will my relationship be to this one who was willing to take bullets for me and my family? It will not be cold lordship. It will be loving lordship. He's a good shepherd. He loves the sheep. He lays down his life. He's no mere hireling to sheep. He loves you. He wants what's best for you. That's the heart of Christianity. I, I want to submit to Him. I want to follow Him. I want to obey Him because I love Him. We have to end casual lordship. This must become serious to us. Number two, if you're taking notes, we have to expect constructive relationship. Expect the constructive relationship. There's quite a lot of benefits that come along Whenever you decide to submit to Jesus as Lord, a lot of benefits. We notice here two constructions, and now he's going to give us the image. Now we're transitioning to the image of this, this entire illustration. Two builders, two construction, storm on the way. It's brewing. The hurricane is in the harbor. But, but first, let's pause here for a minute. Two houses, two builders. Why does that matter? It matters because 
the same storm is hitting both houses, all of us will have to face this, believer and unbeliever. You see, there's a part of… Uh, there, there is a, a pagan part of Christianity that says that if you would come to Christ, He will give you health, wealth, prosperity. You'll never have any problems. And if you do have problems, it's because you don't have enough faith. That is not in the Bible. We do not see that in God's Word. The truth of the Bible is that when you come to Christ, you will still have problems. In fact, Jesus said this to us. He said, he said in this world, you will have problems. You will have trouble. We all still live under the curse of sin. We're, we're in the middle of a cursed world, a cursed creation, under attack by Satan. Some of you wonder, am I going through trouble because I've sinned or someone has sinned? Is God getting even with me? Is God the bully with a magnifying glass and I'm the ant? Friends, this passage gives us a lot of hope. The storm hits both houses. It just does. It, the storm of life, they come to us all, believer and unbeliever. The difference is which house stands, which house is constructed with wisdom so that it stands in the end. There's one builder that's obedient who listens to the instructions, and there's one builder that does not. That's what we're seeing here. Notice the actions that bring blessing. Notice we see here, and by the way, sometimes we shy away from, from that topic of blessing. There is blessing for obedience. There is blessing. But in this passage, it shows that it's steadfastness, and it's defined by God, not by man. Notice those three words, he comes, he hears, he does. To come, to come emphasizes the surrender. I'm going to submit and I'm going to surrender to God's path. I'm going to submit and surrender to God's instruction. I'm going to submit and surrender to the gospel. It is salvation. It is trusting in, in Christ's work. It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's what it means to come. Here's my word. It's more than just hearing. It's the word akuo. That's where we get our word acoustics. It is to hear. It is to take it in. It's the idea that you sense the value of these words. It is to become responsive to this word. It is that every time you open your Bible, every time you have your morning devotional, you hear from God and you take it and you apply it to your life. He does them. He does them. What's the them referring back to? I think this is an interesting point. Probably everything he has said up until this point in this sermon. It's like that eternal perspective, the love of your neighbor, the going the second mile, the forgiving when I don't want to forgive, the bearing fruit. It's all those things. Tons of benefits to being an obedient builder. I mean, even in this passage, verse 42, remember this one? Get the log out of your own eye. If you do that, if you obey, take care of your own sin first, what happens? Well, you become effective for ministry. Then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. You're going to be able to help other people. A lot of benefit here if you're, if you're obedient. Verse 44, same thing. We see another one. Uh, fruit. What's the benefit of bearing fruit? Well, you're going to have assurance each tree is known by its own fruit. 
I'm going to have assurance and steadfastness when it comes to my eternal salvation. That's very beneficial. What is it in our passage? Look at, look at verse 48. I think you could sum it up with the word stability. You might write that down out to the side. Stability. Stability. He is like… All right, now we get the image. What is he like? He's like a man building a house. The diligent man dug deep. He laid the foundation on the rock. There's storms happening in your life all around you. But this man who does what we're talking about, who obeys the Lordship, who comes under the Lordship of Christ, this man who, who makes his life, the pattern of his life, not trusting his heart, but trusting in the Lord and obeying the Lord, not his heart, this man, oh, he's strong in the storms of life. When danger comes, when trouble comes, he has stability when others don't. Now, let me, let me show this, uh, th this image with you just for a minute. What we're seeing here is a wadi, all right? Uh, if you go to Israel, we have 80 people going to Israel in May, and you will see these in the Judean wilderness. This is called a wadi. Everybody say wadi. Everybody say wadi. This is a wadi. It's a channel of, of where water will run. In Israel, the ground is so dry. They get very little rain, and the dirt is compacted. It does not absorb water very well at all. And so what will happen is maybe 10 miles to the north, it could be blue skies where you're at, but 10 miles to the north, it's, it's a flash flood. It's a thunderstorm. And the water will come down. It will collect in a wadi, and it will come rushing down, and it will shock you. You'll hear a rumble to the ground. Wait, there's no storm going on. What's going on? And the rushing waters will just come like a flood. In fact, in 2018, this is recent. 2018, CNN reported that 10 teenagers were killed in a flash flood. What were they doing? They were playing in the wadi. They were down in the wadi. When we were in Israel, they had just had a storm. This was 2009. They had just had a storm, and, and there was a lot of collection along the banks of one of these wadis, and we could look down in there, and there was an ibex deer. Now, that's one of the most amazingly nimble creatures I've ever seen. They can climb amazing cliff sides but it got caught in the flash flood. It's amazing. I mean, that's, that's quite remarkable. These are dangerous things. This is what the flood water looks like in a flash flood. It cannot even be raining, but the water can just come rushing through. That's the image. You've got one guy who's digging down deep, obeying God's Word, making his life pattern to obey God's Word, and you've got the other guy, and he's just building on sand. He's just building on the compacted sand, and when the flood comes, his house, though it looks just like everybody else's house, it's got windows. It's got flower beds. It's got the trim work all nicely done. It's got no foundation. And the other guy comes crashing down. That's the image. That's what we're talking about. It's a dangerous world. But the one who follows God's Word and makes… Listen to me. He makes his life about every day getting up, hearing from God, and doing God's will. If you do that, you will be a rock of stability. Your house will be strong in the midst of the storms when everybody else is failing. Have you noticed this is a very sensitive world we're living in right now? Have you noticed just this attitude in our culture of sensitivity and weakness in this world today? Not many people are living with strength today. Can, amen? It is a weak world. Why? Because they're following the heart 
rather than God's Word, and they're unstable. You say, Pastor Matt, what does that look like? Well, I can give you an illustration of it, the stability and instability. Look at Proverbs 28 verse 1. Love this passage. It says, the wicked flee when no one pursues. The righteous are as bold as a lion. This is a great verse. Maybe you saw it yesterday. Uh, there was a fishing tournament up on Lake Erie, and this guy was cheating yesterday. I guess there was like a $500,000 prize or something like that. There was a cash money prize. This guy had all his fish, and he had been stuffing his fish with these big lead weights and other material to win the tournament, and they cut these things. Be careful watching the video. A lot of profanity. Don't watch it with your kids. Don't, but, but they showed it on the news, and it was just a lot, of, a lot of weights inside, and he was cheating, and they caught him. And his professional fishing life is over. He was all over, a tournament winner. Now, I, I'm not big into fishing, but I can see how this verse, I can see how this verse would matter to that guy. He's living his life and he's constantly wondering, am I going to be caught? Is today the day I get caught? Is today the day they come after me? But the righteous, oh, they're stable. They're bold as a lion. Ah, I got nothing to hide. Nothing in my fish, I'll tell you that. Uh, my wife, Ashley, we have this Amazon device. I cannot say her name or else all your phones will go off and everyone watching online as well. But we have this Amazon device in our home. She asked me the other day, hey, it's always listening to us. Does that bother you? Nah, I don't care. I don't care. Now, I may change my tune the more tyrannical our government becomes. Um, but, but right now, I, I, I don't care. I've got nothing to hide. I've got nothing to hide. So I can, I can be carefree when it comes to, to that. You realize every search you've ever made on your computer is recorded somewhere? Wow. I don't care. If, if you've got nothing to hide, if you're walking in righteousness, you, you shouldn't care. Carefree. You've got nothing to hide. The wicked are flee when no one pursues. That's the idea. And by the way, that's why the early church made such a big deal with following the apostles' teachings. Are you with me? Like, like they would gather in Acts 2, they would study the apostles' teachings, and in Ephesians, the apostles and prophets are the foundation to the church. Like, they're the foundation of the church. What, what is that? Their teachings, the truth of Christ taught through the apostles, is the truth of God that brings stability. It's like a foundation. That's why in the book of Revelation, if you look in Revelation, the great city, the final city, has the apostles' names in the foundation. It is a foundation for you. It is stability for you. That's the idea. And we all have to take responsibility to build upon the truth of God's Word. What are you building with? You know, I found this story this week. There was a, uh, a couple in Chicago. It was reported in a Chicago newspaper. It was a pastor. Breathtaking story. Scott Willis and his wife Janet one day, they load their six of nine children. They had nine kids. Six of them, they loaded into their van. They never dreamed the horrible situation they would be in. While driving on Interstate 94, the van ran over a very large piece of metal. 
that punctured the gas tank and the van became a inferno, killing everyone but the parents. I hear a story like that and I think how, how would I respond in a Job-like situation? I mean, isn't that like the opening chapters of the book of Job? It's like this guy lost everything. How would I respond? Listen to what this newspaper reported. At the news conference, they were bandaged, Scott and Janice, husband, wife. And Janet was told by Scott, Janet, this is what we've been preparing for. They testified, and this is what they said. I know God has purposes and God has reasons. God has demonstrated His love to us and our family. There's no question in our mind that God is good and we praise Him in all things. And then Janet continued, we belong to Him and my children belong to Him. He is the giver and the taker of life and He sustains us. All that appeared in a secular newspaper, and that makes God look great. How do you get to a place like that, a place of strength like that when your calamity comes? Well, it's these habits, these daily habits of expecting the storm. You're digging deep. You're building your foundation in obedience to God's Word. You're growing in God's truth. You're in fellowship with God's people, and every day we need to see every devotional, every Sunday morning sermon, every time that we meet with fellow believers in shepherd groups as moments where we dig deep into God's Word, building the foundation for trouble. The question is, what are we building on? Final point, and we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Final point, we need to envision the costly hardship. Envision the costly hardship. And this is a quick point. It's verse 49, but Jesus does not end this sermon on a high note. He leaves us staring at disaster. He wants us to have like the, the picture of what it will cost you. For those of you that are hearers and not doers, it's going to be costly. It's going to be like it's going to be like Amazon's, uh, the, the, the new Lord of the Rings thing, right? They spend all this money on it, and it's terrible. It's just a terrible TV show because they fired the guy that was informing them on what Tolkien was thinking. It's a disaster. Notice verse 49. There's emotional disaster, not just financial disaster. The ruin, look at it, the ruin of that house was great. The word here for ruin is the breaching of a dam. It's the laceration. It's the rupture. It's like I can't stop the bleeding. I can't stop it. It's too late. That's how Jesus ends the sermon. There are those of you that will spend this period of your life preparing. There will be those of you who spend this period of your life meeting with other Christians, going deep in God's Word, asking God for obedience, asking God to help you obey, asking God for grace. You'll be preparing for those days of the storms that will come to us all, whether it be war, whether it be famine, whether it be sickness, whether it be diagnosis, whether it be relational turmoil. 
and there are some that are not preparing at all. Which one are you? Let me give you a couple of applications, then we'll be done. How do I build on the rock of Jesus Christ and His Word? Verse 47 is key. Verse 47 gives us the formula for a healthy, stable Christian. And it's those three words. It's to come to Jesus. And dear friends, this must be the the next activity for some of you in this room who are not truly born again. You must come to Jesus. This would be your stability. This would be how you could become stable in an unstable world. You come to Jesus Christ. You repent of your sin. You repent of your unbelief, and you trust in Jesus Christ. You look away from your own works and you look to the work of Christ who died for your sins, who resurrected that you might be saved, and you believe in Him. You love Him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. First, you must come. Second, you must hear. You must take in and and truly hear. You hear the Word of God and you apply it. You do it. You know, some of you, what your next application is, is a shepherd group. I just want to say this to everyone in the room. You ought to have some form of Christian fellowship where we're being this, where we're counseling each other. Uh, Matt Castro told me, I think last week, we have 42 shepherd groups at Central Church actively meeting right now. 42. Our goal, yeah, we can clap for that. You bet. Part of a shepherd group is that you gather together, you grow together, you exhort one another in the Scriptures together to be doers of the Word, not hearers only. Some of you, what you need to do is to reach into the seat back in front of you, pull out that that communication card, put your information down and say, I need to be in a shepherd group. And like give us like your real phone number and your, your real information, like the real thing, and turn it into that box over there, and we will get you connected to a shepherd group. Why? Because we want to help you build that strong foundation of obedience to God's Word, obedience to the Lordship of Christ. We'll end with this. My friend uh, Tom, he was an elder at, at a church that I served in, and when I first met Tom, he told me, he said, I, I, I'm actually in a really bad place health-wise. He said, I've got this tumor. It's about the size of a grapefruit, and it's wrapped around my pancreas. It's wrapped around, and it's, it's vascular, like there are There's blood vessels, heavy blood vessels going through it, and it's choking, literally choking the life out of me. It's going to most likely kill me if I don't get it out of me. I spent many nights praying with Tom. I spent many elder board meetings praying over Tom. It was a hard season. He goes in for surgery. They believe they've shrunk it to the point where through chemo, through radiation, they believe they've got this thing down to the size of maybe a golf ball and they think they can take it out now. So they get in there, they, they open him up, and the surgeon gets in and he sees it's still very vascular, and there's no way to take this thing out without killing Tom. They close him back up. The surgeon is holding Tom's hand as Tom wakes up from the surgery, and the surgeon, with tears in his eyes, says, Tom, I am so sorry. I know what this means, but I could not get that tumor out of you. 
And Tom's response was just this gentle smile. Oh, that's all right. I'm fine. I'll be fine. I'm fine. I I have believed in Jesus Christ. My future, my health, everything, I'm secure. I'm fine. Everything's going to be okay. And the surgeon is looking at this man who's like that house. You remember the picture of the house? It's like, like this is in the middle of devastation, but this man is standing strong like a house after a hurricane, and he's still there. He's got deep, he's got deep pylons deep into the, the foundation, and he is strong. And the surgeon said, I've never seen a response like that. And that makes God look great. How do you get there? Day after day, week after week, year after year, digging deep a foundation in God's truth. And so must it be for all of us. Pray with me. As the team comes, what is your foundation? Can you say, on Christ the solid rock I stand? All other ground is sinking sand. That's what Matthew's gospel would show us. Matthew's gospel is about where we stand. Luke's version is about how we stand. We stand digging deep submitting to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Are you in the middle of a storm right now? All of us are. Is it a relational storm? Is it a medical storm? Is it an emotional storm? What is God's design and desire for you to respond today? Maybe there's a sin to confess. Maybe there's a pattern to break. Maybe there's a new pattern to establish. No one becomes strong left to themselves. It is time in obedience to God's Word, founded on the solid rock of Jesus Christ, digging deep. Would you ask for God's grace to do just that today? Would you determine your next steps right now? What is it? What's the thing that God wants you to respond with right now? Father, I lift up my friends. I lift up this congregation. Lord, we thank You for Your truth today. We thank You that Scripture has given us a direction for life, direction for godliness. We ask for Your grace. We ask that You would make us steadfast in a culture of sensitivity and a culture of weakness and a culture of fear and anxiety. Lord, may... Christians of Central Church be seen getting stronger and stronger and stronger as we found ourselves in the truth of your word. May we be doers of the word, not hearers only. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people say it together. Amen. Would you stand together? I have a benediction. I'll be right back, but let's stand and respond in worship.